Today I'm joined on the Guild of Dads podcast by Athol Kay, a renowned expert on sex and relationships. We discuss in this episode, which is a second of a two-part special episode, the first of which aired last week, why women get very turned off to a man that is following them around everywhere and placing them at the centre of the universe. How putting all of your effort into an unbalanced relationship can be exhausting and the importance of dealing with red flags in a relationship early on rather than hoping that things will sort themselves out. Hi, I'm Joe Horton and this is Guild of Dads. Hey, you over there. Yeah, I can see you. Come over. Sit down and join me as I'm about to have a conversation about you. A conversation about what it means to be a dad, a role model and to live a life of meaning. About your physical health, how you look after yourself, contribute to the world around you and raise our next generation. A conversation that will shape the vision you have for yourself. Forever. Thanks for joining me today on Guild of Dads, the podcast for dads looking to expand and level up their knowledge in all areas of being a father. Tackling some of the most relevant subjects applicable to men, the conversations we have will be thought-provoking, inspirational and make you laugh and possibly even cry. Covering everything from relationships to health to divorce and death, if it's something you may face as a dad, we've got it covered. I hear a lot from dads that they have all the material things that should be making them happy in 2020, but that there is something lacking. And on Guild of Dads, we're looking to give you all the information you need to really start thinking about a vision for yourself going forward, and one on which you can take action and find meaning. This is a much needed conversation right now, as many dads feel lost and are hungry for information to make some much needed changes and improvements. If that's you, then Guild of Dads is the place for you. Athol Kay is an author, blogger, vlogger and one of the most well-regarded educators on relationship dynamics, intimacy and sex within marriage. He has penned two best-selling books on the subject and coached hundreds of men and couples on the way to achieving the relationship and lives they've always craved. And now for my conversation with Athol. Yeah. And it's kind of, and and this is where the kind of one itis and the orbiting, then comes to start, yeah. starts to link together. There was a there was a there was a, an interesting post uh, on a man's group that I'm a part of a couple of weeks back, and a guy uh, things weren't working out. I don't think with his partner, and for whatever reason he was like, uh, he was like, oh well, her, you know. Her, you know, she's always in a mood and um, she always seems angry with me and whatever and stuff and that, you know, and four or five guys chime in and they're like, you need to kind of back off, get off her emo- emotional roller coaster, focus on yourself, do the things that interest you and stop orbiting her. And uh, and it once the kind of, yeah. again, once the penny dropped and he could re- and he realized, you know, pretty quick yep. what he was doing, 
then yeah. um, then obviously he could see that actually by changing his behavior and focusing on himself which kind of loops back nice quite nicely into what we said you know at, at uh, near to the beginning of our conversation once he started yeah. focusing on himself then all of a sudden he's not orbiting her like a planet in in space yeah. he's he's focusing on what he's doing and and also doing high value activities as well. So he, you know, he's going down the gym and he's getting in, yeah. getting into his hobbies because his whole life is not around making her happy. Yeah. Well, and and it's not making her happy. She's getting more and more unhappy with every orbit. That's the paradox. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen you know the the the, the woman in their sixties whose husband retires and now he's you know with her all day every day. You know, they <laughs> following her around the house, talking to her like a three-year-old. You know, mummy went out of line of sight, so she's disappeared, so I have to find you. Um, those women get so frazzled. And you know, why, did, why don't you go back to work, dear? You know, <laughs> <laughs> why don't you help out just a couple of days a week or something? You know, get a hobby. Um so, yeah, it's just the thing. If you're doing the wrong thing over and over and over with great intensity, I mean, you get, like I said, you get more and more hooked in and emotional about it. And then you need more and more back. And it just makes it more and more unbalanced. You know, if you're expending all this energy into a relationship, into this other person, running yourself dry, it's totally unbalanced. So, like, like I said, pulling away few more boundaries go do your own thing let it all come down really does make it better sometimes because you're just balancing it yeah i'm going to touch on something with you Ethel, which is kind of it's advanced relationship dynamics and it's actually we've we've gone quite heavy into some of the wrong stuff that you can be doing or some of the things that kind of can lead you down to blind alleys and stuff now i'm going to mention loyalty tests and uh, that is going to be something that's going to be completely different to fitness tests. But it's actually kind of a green light thing as opposed to a red light thing in terms of where you are in your journey of focusing on yourself. So I'm going to hand the reins over to you on this one. And Okay. So, <laughs> so basically, with a fitness test, they are trying to get you to, to do something for them. Um, and pretty much you pass that by saying no and getting them to do the thing for themselves or whatever it is. A loyalty test is you, they want to know that you have an emotional connection to them, that you are actually hooked into them, that you do care about them, that you love them, whatever. Um so they're basically looking for some form of emotional expression that you know that you you care, and the loyalty test can very often come immediately after you pass a fitness test because they're saying, "Can you go do the thing?" And you're like, "No," and then there's this sort of instant fear of, "Why did he say no?" You know, and that there's, there's sort of the panic, like, "What?" You know. Okay, you know, is he is he pushing back on me? Is he, you know, finally growing a spine? Does he just not care about me anymore? You know, is that you know, Chick Sheila in accounting hitting on me again? Why, why, why is he saying no to this thing? And then there's that immediate sense of like, you know, just validate 
that you actually love and care about me. Um, so they're looking for some form of emotional expression. And sometimes when they're asking you to do things and you're not actually have any kind of emotional expression in there, it's like it still doesn't meet that need of does he care? Um, so that's something to look for really closely. Like if once you start passing fitness tests fairly regularly and you're starting to do the pushback and draw lines in the sand and you know do some of the stuff yourself, you're going to get a loyalty test of some description almost immediately afterwards. It's really predictable. Yeah. And so you basic experience. Yeah. You're important. Relationships important, but you'd also don't go overboard and, you know, gush out your soul. Like, you know, the, she is the exact center of the universe because it's, that's not helpful either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically looking for, I mean, if if you want to put it another way, the, the fitness test is looking for, you know, do you have any alpha traits? The loyalty test is, do you have any beta traits? Mm-hmm. And how would a loyalty test typically look uh, in practice? It can be, uh, I mean, it can... It can vary almost as much as a, as a fitness test does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be simply, you know, can, you know, can we talk? Can you, you know, can you kiss me? Can basically, can you alleviate their anxiety about, you know, how the relationship is or who you are or whatever? Do you love me anymore? Um, yeah, basically, which is normal. You know, it's pre- it's predictable. Mm-hmm. So it's, and very often they they can come really close, really close together. And in fact, if you're with someone who has any degree of generalized sort of anxiety, the loyalty test can come about 0.3 of a second after you pass the fitness test. You know, it can go from demanding, and you saying no to that look of fear and panic and emotion and and tears of do you care where's this relationship going yeah well right now it's not going to the store but you know i do care about you so (laughs) (laughs) i thought we've covered quite a lot today actually and um there is i could quite easily talk to you for probably three or four hours such as the depth of your knowledge over that you've kind of acquired over the last few years since 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 first writing the married man sex life primer and also the second book of yours the mindful attraction plan um both books i would really recommend any guys listening to this to check out probably the first book first and the second book second depending on how you uh, get on with the first book they're slightly different books wouldn't you say Arthur, in terms of kind of uh the, the nuanced way that they approach things they are they are different um and this is this is kind of feeding into the the things i've been wrestling with for the like the, the last the last decade and, and the things that i'm starting to really work on now the merry man sex life primer was really simple it was, there was one problem i was trying to fix how do i get the nice beta guys to be more alpha to to, to game a little more and pull that level of attraction and interest. And if that's your problem, that's your book. It, it, it really is. That's, if that's your problem, that's your book. But what I discovered 
is for some guys, it worked amazingly well. Like literally within you know uh, a month of, of reading it and, and doing the things they said in there, everything in the relationship was fixed. Like it just got so much better so quickly. And there were other guys that were like, yeah, I tried all that. And, you know, still bashing my head against a brick wall. And so a lot of what the, the, the wife attraction plan was, was about was like, okay, why does this even happen? What, what, you know, I've got the magic bullet that totally works and the, the magic bullet that completely and utterly doesn't work. Like, so why is this happening? What I realized at the time was that the people that it was working for was that was their one problem. Everything else, everything else in their life was working well. So they just had the problem. They were a little too soft, squishy, beta, a little too nice. They just had to alpha up and everything would be fixed. For everybody else, they had other, other problem points in their life that was pretty much you know, sapping their energy um, just running them down, making them, you know, the worst versions of themselves in some ways. So if you can fix, if you could fix the person's life, make them, you know, happier, more content, stronger, um, that was going to give them enough strength and leverage and sort of internal frame where they would become more attractive. And then that would mean everything else in the primer would work. Um so that was the that was pretty much the theory that I was running on at the time, and it, um, in some ways, that the mindful attraction plan is a less exciting, fun book, um, but it's more effective in that it, it, it hits more of the problem areas than the primer did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of ironic. A lot of people tell me, you know, Oh, I read the prime. It was the greatest book ever. Blah 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 blah. You know, blah, you know, I really liked it. it. Was fun. And yeah, I read the mindful attraction plan. It was okay. And well, I did finally go to the gym, and I did finally deal with my job situation and clean out my house and and get my my fitness back together and and fix this and you know finish my degree. And but but apart from all that, the primer was much better. So. This is sort of disconnect. The primer feels a little more fun and edgy. The mindful attraction plan is actually truly more effective in some ways. Yeah, um, that problem, like why does it work, and for some people and not others, is something that has really stuck with me. Yeah, um, like just a thorn in my side. Like why does this work? Yeah. Um, why does it work? Why does it not work? Because from my perspective, if I'm coaching someone or answering email, whatever, if I'm advising someone to do something, um, I want to make damn well sure I'm right in giving correct advice because this is someone's primary relationship. This is their family. This is their marriage. This is their kids growing up in an intact family. Um, it's it's kind of like I want to have a... To, a surgical level of correctness of, yeah, that's cancer. That's got to be cut out or no, you know, it's that that's not quite that bad. We need to just do some treatment and work through it and take the antibiotics and make it better. Mm-hmm. I want to be 100% sure I'm going to get it as right, as correct as possible because it has huge ramifications for the people I talk to. Um, and maybe I'm taking on too much. 
Um, and I, and I, I probably think I have in that sense, but that's how the mindset has been. So I want to make sure I know exactly why things are working. Um, so as much as people read my books want to know how things work, I want to know how things work so much more than anybody else I know. Yeah. yeah it's almost like that, that Einstein quote was like, you know, you think you have problems with mathematics. You know, I, my problems with math is just so much greater. <laughs> you know, the way I think about it now um, and this is kind of going to be the basis of a lot of what I'm working on. The way I think about it now is there's really only four main problems that keep popping up, four problems, four stories that, that happen just over and over again. The first one is like your basic attraction question. Are you doing the basic relationshipy stuff? Um, that's, that's all one problem. The second one is that there is some kind of blockage, uh, whether it is someone has a mental illness or there's a medical issue or an abuse history or whatever it is. You know, they want the relationship, but they somehow are anxious or freak out or whatever. Um, so you can be doing all the right things to raise attractiveness and do all the, all the good, you know, married man, sex life primer stuff. But if you're with someone that has mental illness, if you're with someone that has an abuse history, if you're with someone that you know, has a sexual abuse history, whatever, and that isn't addressed, um, then you're going to get no progress. Just the same as for the woman who are with husbands with you know testosterone level you know in the the single digits or whatever, they are going to make no progress no matter how hot they look. Now, um, so the the problem of there's some sort of elephant in the room that is surrounded by a little bit of crazy so it doesn't get addressed. That's the whole second problem. Third one is they, the other person just doesn't even want to be in a relationship with you. They checked out years ago. They are only with you because they can't get divorced yet. Um, you know, They just don't have the money. Or they're waiting for the kids to finish high school. Or they would... They just had this whole other reason to be married to you other than they want to be with you. Um, and those situations, it doesn't matter what you do. It's totally unfixable. You can't, you can't make it truly better because the other person is always going to unpick it in some way. Um, I mean, a, a cliche sort of example of that stuff is, you know, the woman that's married to a gay guy. It doesn't matter what she does. <laughs> He's still going to be gay. He's only there because he's trying to use her as a cover story, so to speak. Mm. So it doesn't matter how good she gets. It's, it's never going to work. The fourth story, the fourth problem is where there's someone else involved. And whether that's a batshit crazy mother-in-law who's trying to get in between them and claim her son back. Or... There's some other no. Trust me, that's the just as destructive as the fears in some way. No, I'm smiling because I've seen it. I love yeah. that fourth one. I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> or or there is some sort of other romantic thing happening on the side. Yeah, um, that makes it incredibly difficult to to make advances. So if you see, if you see those four basic problems, basic relationship attraction issue, there's some sort of emotional medical blockage. They had just done, checked out, never wanted you in the first place, or there's someone else in, in play. 
the kicker is any one or all of those four stories can be happening simultaneously. Simultaneously. So that's the, that's the classic problem. Like someone who just had the first problem, just had the basic attraction relationship stuff. They read relationship books. They read the primer. They do their relationship stuff. Everything is fixed. They go away happy. It'll work like, it'll work like magic. But if someone is, like I said, with someone who has that blockage, okay, you turn yourself into the most attractive version of yourself, they still have an abuse history. You turn yourself into the best guy ever, you know, they still have the medical issue that has to be worked around. So you have to fix that as well. It can be an attraction thing. Can be, you know, it can be a, some sort of blockage and... They were never into you in the first place, or they decided they were done with you three years ago, and they're just marking time. Mm. So this is why you run into the situation where people can work like crazy to make themselves more attractive, better relationships. Everyone around them is saying, oh, my God, you look great. You know, what are you doing? And the only person that isn't saying that is their spouse because they're just not into them. So this is why you have this problem where, you know, I see a lot of things where people are jumping from expert to expert, from book to book to group to group, looking for the the solution that's finally going to work. You know, I'm trying to fix problem number one. How do I do that? And they have problem number two, three or four in their life. So that is what I'm seeing more and more, more and more clearly now. Yeah. To the point I'm picking these stories almost instantly when I'm talking to someone. So my problem is like, how do you integrate all of that? How do you come up with a plan and a solution that's going to figure all that out? Yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's been a challenge. Um, and in, to a large extent, um, this is sort of ubiquitous through all the self-help relationship advice industry. Everyone in the world is trying to sell some sort of book or product, just like I am, that is going to fix one particular problem. And if that's just the only problem you have, fantastic, it works. But if you have more of them, it's almost like nothing works. Um, And it's up to you as the individual person almost to become a relationship expert yourself to even diagnose what is wrong with your situation so that you can even find someone that has the advice that you actually need. Sort of give you another example. Just think of all the how to get your ex back sort of books and blogs and, and, and forums and, you know, programs that are out there. How do you, you know, how do you get your ex back? That's focusing on a symptom. The problem is, why did they leave in the first place? Mm. And they could have left in the first place for, you know, for 10 different reasons. So if you're looking for how do I get my ex back, that's my problem. Well, if you find the exact expert who offers a program, how to get my expert, who has the exact true underlying problem situation that you have, that expert will work. But if the other nine out of 10 experts have a different 
underlying problem that they're actually working with. It's going to look good. It's going to sound good. You're going to try it, but it's not going to work. Mm. This way, it's almost like if this was a medical situation and you're like, I have abdominal pain and all the doctors out there were only offering one particular solution to abdominal pain. Yeah, I, I, you know, I give you, I give you tums, everything gets better. Well, I take your pen, and the next guy is, I take your penix out, and it makes it all better. Next guy is like, well, I'm an oncologist, and I, I cut away the cancer, that makes it better. And it's up to you as the individual to figure out exactly what is wrong, to find the right expert. It is crazy making. This is why people with relationship issues can spend years, years going from expert to expert, book to book, trying to find the one that eventually works. And to the point, there's sometimes I've talked to people and it's like they've read more relationship books than I have in the last three years. And it's almost like back to front where that, you know, what do you think about this? And it's like, I haven't read that. You know, what do you think about, and what's your opinion on this? It's like, um, I don't know. It just, I haven't read it. Mm. I don't need to. But everyone becomes a relationship expert trying to fix their relationship. It's very backwards. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on now, how to get people to actually diagnose what is truly wrong like for most for most people for most guys the question is how do i get laid how do i get the sex back do you want to get involved with a community of other dads who are looking to develop themselves to continue the conversations we have here on this podcast in a place for dads only that fosters brotherhood camaraderie and personal growth then we have just the place for you. At the Guild of Dads Facebook group, you can connect with other dads on a similar journey, share experiences, offer support and seek support. Most of all, you can get some accountability in your own journey and get involved with the discussions and topics that every dad faces. So look us up on Facebook, join up and get involved with the discussion. Looking forward to seeing you in the Guild so you can start your journey with us today. Okay, that's a symptom. But the journey they go on is actually where the kind of real magic happens for them personally. And and that's the funny thing with your first book, I've always thought, because when you, um, the title of it is actually kind of, um, it's it's not misleading because it is, it, it, it does what it says on the tin, but it's actually a lot more than that because it's actually saying to guys, okay, now you're going to start taking responsibility for yourself. So this, the, the sex is a, is, a, is a nice byproduct of that, but the actual journey yeah. you go on as a man going through the process is, yeah. is, is kind of re- really where the kind of rubber hits the road. And I just wonder where you're, where you, as you were talking through those four things, do you, do you find that in actual fact, when it reaches a point where somebody is actually on the verge of walking out or actually separating, do you find that sometimes at that 11th, 11th and a half, 11th and three quarter hour, that finally these things come to when the other party is staring the end of the relationship squarely in the face, that some of this stuff 
eventually comes to the comes to the uh, surface, if you like. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes the the journey of even finding what is wrong, um, by the time they get the advice they need, it's too late. Yeah, mm. um, uh, this is kind of one of the things I think guys run into uh, more than women is that. For a lot of us, for a lot of us guys, we, you know, we, we don't like fights in the relationship. We don't like the arguments. We don't like the verbal back and forth. We, we, we really don't. So when the complaints stop, it's a relief and it's so much better. Things have improved. And what's actually happening, it's like, you know, the communication, the lines of communication have, have stopped and been broken and you don't actually fully realize how bad it is. You know, her giving up and, and no longer talking and fighting and arguing is a bad sign because it means she's starting to throw in the towel. And by the time you really realize that she's throwing in the towel, well, you get to the 11th hour. So that's one of the things I see an awful lot of by the time the guy really realizes he's in trouble it's almost too late and you have such a narrow window to turn it around sometimes um, you almost have to make your, your your first moves of repairing things and trying to make things better be almost exactly right mm-hmm. um, so I see a lot of a lot of that mm-hmm. but I would imagine in some cases as well and I'm just hypothesizing here, Athel, so you can uh, you can tell me if I'm way off the mark. But I would imagine in some cases, if the person who's kept that knowledge in for quite some period of time finally kind of lets it out, the fact that someone, depending on the circumstances, the fact that if that person is still hanging about, let's assume that it's Mr., um, the fact that he's still hanging about and he's kind of like, this all makes sense, um, I can help. I want to help you with this. That's got to be a kind of relief in a lot of cases. If someone's held something in for many, many years about something, whether it's be abusive or uh, a mental health issue or whatever, they may have been carrying around around for years. That's that's got to be a relief. I would have thought. Yeah, when when you when you finally start getting things out in the open, like I said, we're sort of rewinding to back to something we talked about at the beginning. Like most relationships, sort of start unconsciously yeah you know the elephant in the room was always there but we had so much you know we were young we didn't have kids we didn't have houses mortgages careers you know so we had all this extra free time and energy to just sort of gloss over things um but when especially when you start hitting middle age a little older and your energy you know starts to go down a little bit and you have more responsibilities that that's when those true problems really just can't be carried anymore mm. um so sometimes it is that okay well now we actually truly really have to tr- you know we truly have to address the mental health thing mm. we truly have to address the abuse thing we mm. we truly have to dig into what the actual problems are mm. um so yeah it's it's a relief, but to be honest, a lot of those things were known. Mm. A lot of those things were known from the get-go. And usually, 
there's some sort of conscious red flag waving before you really, you know, before you get married, you know. By the way, there was this thing that happened, and this is what, how I'm crazy. Mm. Okay. And then you get married, and it's like 10 years later, it's like, oh, they were telling the truth. That was really a thing that's wrecking my life now. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of red flag waving early on, um, which you can ignore to your detriment. Um, so, yeah, it's just there comes a point in the relationship to, within any relationship where you, where you do sort of reach an inflection point where it's like we have to move from an unconscious relationship to a conscious relationship. We have to actually know what the actual true problems are so we can work on them rather than spin something around them. Because um, there's a lot of people who are who have true genuine issues that would don't want to deal with them because it's painful or mm. difficult or feels like it, even if they worked on it, it wouldn't make any difference. You know, it, it, it sucks now and I can put a pile of work into it. That's really going to suck as I do to it. And then it's not going to work and it's still going to suck. Mm. Um, there's an awful lot of that. So sometimes you actually get need to get to the point where you're willing to say, if this thing doesn't get fixed, I can't stay. Sometimes it really does need to get to that point, which is why you being the best version of yourself, you being as attractive as you can, as high energy as you can, maintaining your personal boundaries, that whole ball of wax, that makes the chance of doing those moments of, hey, you really need to fix the thing. That's what makes those moments effective. If it's just you, fat, lazy, depressed, saying, you know, could you go fix the thing? <laughs> the answer is no. No, because yeah. you know. Yeah, because I think as well, and again, I'm sort of getting a little bit insights as you're talking this, talking this through. I think as well, because when you're going on that journey of, uh, of working on yourself, you gain an understanding and an, an awareness of certain things that you probably wouldn't have got had you not gone on that journey, which means that awareness you can bring in a mature way to fix it, to not necessarily fixing, but addressing some of the issues that you may face that come to a head at that later stage sort of thing. It's like that to an extent, but I got, I got to tell you, when those sort of true moments happen, where it's, you know, where the rubber meets the road conversations, they are completely visceral experiences where it's just like the dice are being rolled. Which is the which way is it going to come up? And it's you win or you lose those sort of moments just based on something very primal inside us like who is actually the most together and the strongest who actually is you know the most powerful the most valuable the most attractive so if you haven't done all that work um you know before you reach those moments you, you'll fail them mm. you know i mean it's almost like a a, a boxing match or an MMA, mma match you know it's all the work in the gym 
beforehand. What you do in the ring is almost irrelevant. It's just like finding out how things are going to play out. So those, there's been plenty of, this is almost like I, I, I've moved away from the idea of like issuing ultimatums because I never see them truly working as well as you sort of hoped they would. They just sort of become like idle threats or even sort of fitness tests in a sense. Like, could you do the thing? When it really goes down, it's usually totally unscripted, unplanned. You just saw your partner say something or do something, and then suddenly it's like the thing just snaps in the back of your head, and you just are like a programmed robot going, oh, no, this is not going to happen. You know, you need to go fix this right now, right here, or we are so through. <laughs> like, you can't plan that. You can't stage it. You can't practice it because it's just a totally primal, visceral thing that's happening. And it's almost to the point where you can hear yourself saying something. <laughs> you know, and you're like you're a passenger in front of you going like shit, shit, I'm saying it. I'm doing it. It's the th- you know, it's like what happens now? <laughs> you know, almost like you're a spectator just watching this thing happen. Yeah. So all that work to make yourself better, stronger, happier, working on all the boundaries, passing all the little fitness tests, that all lays the groundwork to mm-hmm. Hey, you really do have to go fix this thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I or else I can't stay. Mm-hmm. And it's that's it's almost the the pulling back that, that's almost the, the most effective thing that when you're angry and upset, um you're communicating, you're still hooked into them. So a lot of those moments where it really is it is all happening. This is where that you know, the relationship changes. Um, there's often a sort of a tone of res- resigned disappointment. Yeah, not we're not doing this. I'm not staying here. You know, I, this is not going to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Love you, but you this reached, is silly. You this is silly. Of no return. Yeah, it either needs to be fixed, or you know, I can. I I'll just move on. Mm. Mm. Uh, listeners are going to realise that we were actually bringing the interview to a close, <laughs> but I realised that there was a, there was kind of a lot of value to all of a sudden come out of this last kind of I say sort of twenty minutes I suppose because uh, I, I could see that we were kind of going to go off on a tangent which I think had a lot of value to it. So I'm hoping that Athol has said anything everything that he needs to say on this but is there anything that you want to add to add to this to add to this i thought that we've not already touched upon um well this i mean i i guess we are sidetracking in a sense this this is my problem i want to find the relationship theory of everything like how attraction works how comfort building works how you solve all these things at once this has sort of been the holy grail that i've been working on for the longest time 
And I found like with every sort of book or product or video series I've done or whatever, it's like I'm trying to solve this Rubik's Cube puzzle of the theory of everything of relationships. And it's like, okay, I did this what I did the primer and I got the the blue side on the cube good. And then I did the next one. It's like I got the yellow side. And then I did the next one. It's got the red side, but the blue side's messed up now. Um that's that process is what I've been working on now for 10 years. And I'm finally at the point where it's like, I, I think I've got it all where it's all sort of integrated. Um, or at least I've, I've got it all integrated as much as it's ever going to be. And I have a working model that I can now run with. Um, so that's, that's really what my next sort of layer of stuff is going to be about. Like, how does it all how does it all work? Mm. So yeah, I could probably keep talking for four hours without covering the same ground too too greatly. Um, what's a final thought? Now it's like the Jerry Springer show, isn't it? We need a final thought to 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 go away with. Um, I think it's realizing that there there is you you go into relationships unconsciously you and you'll always reach a point at some point in your relationship where it's not going to be working quite right not quite as you hoped and it's going to feel and really annoying and frustrating at that point like i i've done all these things i sort of brought this ticket where i meant to get the certain ride or whatever it is and it's not playing out the way that i i want what I want people to really know is that when you reach that point, often it's not the relationship itself that is the problem. The relationship can be perfectly fine. What is often happening at that point is that it's something in your life as a whole. It's, it's, it, you know, it's life problems that are making their way into your relationship rather than your relationship is messed up and it's ruining your life so there's a which is a subtle but important difference often when life gets it's hard we we start viewing our partner as as the problem and we want to get more energy from them more attention more love more affection more sex whatever it is from them to prop ourselves up and to feel better and stronger but it's a life issue you know it's it's, it's our job sucks our health sucks you know you know, people take advantage of us or whatever it is. So very often fixing the life issues makes the relationship better. And very often the person that you're actually you know married to in the relationship with is an asset to your life problems and not a problem that's wrecking your life. So I do see it with people who get divorced sometimes. Like I thought it would get better. But it turns out all my life problems are still here, and I took away someone that was actually kind of sort of helping with some of them. Mm. You know, now I have another problem. Now I got to shuttle kids backwards and forwards between you know two houses. We have the same income, but all our expenses went up between us. Um, so that's something to really look for. Mm. Is it really a life problem? Uh, is it really a relationship problem? Is it really them being you know sucking in some way? Or is it just life is difficult? Yeah. You know, life is difficult. So that's something I, I, 
I think is really important and gets glossed over sometimes. Mm. Um, there can be nothing wrong with your relationship other than everyone's getting tired and cranky. You know? Because you got sick kids and bills and mortgages and, you know, the cat just threw up on something. You know, it just, it's not anything to do with the relationship sometimes. Mm. So, so I think that's part of it too. It, you just have to, as you hit middle age, you have to start thinking consciously about your life, about your relationship, what you're committing to, what you actually have time to. And sometimes you have to let things go. Sometimes you got to cut things away, whether that's giving away jobs or chores or cutting people out of your life that are just awful. Um, your, your, your energy goes down as you hit middle age, as all your responsibilities and, and chores and expectations tend to go up. So there can be nothing, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your relationship, just the margin of error gets smaller. So you have to think consciously. You can't just wing it and have it work. Um, so, yeah, that's something I see an awful lot of. So, Excellent. We've covered so much ground today, I thought, and I really do appreciate you coming and speaking to us because um, there's just so much value in not only the kind of practical steps that we've gone through in the kind of first part of our conversation, but also the really a lot more, I would say, kind of organic and feeling-based steps uh, that we've kind of covered in this kind of second part of the relationship and how you've, you know, really kind of arrived and kind of laced together your thinking in the last decade around these very you know tricky subjects which you know let's make no bones about it really do affect people's lives so um i do you know i really do appreciate you coming on to speak to us what is the best way for people to find out about what you're up to what you've got coming uh, coming up next uh, projects social media that kind of stuff um pretty much where i'm most active currently is on the youtube channel mm-hmm um, that's pretty much the thing that I've, I'm, I'm doing the most of. You can just search on my name. And I know you can't spell Ethel, so it's A-T-H-O-L, last name K-A-Y. Um, but that, that's where I'm most active. Um, as I come, I mean, I still have the AthelK.com website and the Married Man Six Life website is still there. I haven't done an awful lot of work on them recently. Um as I come out with the next sort of layer of content that'll be updated more, but I'm most active on, on YouTube at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So if you're listening to this and there's, and there's stuff that's resonated in the conversation that we've uh, had today, then by all means hit me up on uh, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, the same with Athol. Um, he's a very approachable, nice man, and I'm sure that he'd <laughs> love to hear from you uh, with your uh, with your comments on uh, on today's yeah. discussion. So. Yeah, I'm I'm not approachable and nice. I have good boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Athol, thank you very much. And yeah. um, there's one question I want to ask you just before you I send you on your merry sure. way. What is it that gives you the most meaning in your life, sir? Well, I mean, I think for me, I mean, I kind of covered it just, just before. It's it's figuring out the puzzle, figuring out the puzzle, trying to get the, the theory of everything together. Um, that's probably the, the centerpiece of, of who I am. 
Yeah. So it's it's kind of nice to kind of be right on the verge of actually getting to create and publish all of that. Yeah. And I think it, it's seeing it, it's seeing people go through their journey of of discovery and getting to a good a good place at the end of it, even if it's not even if it's not what they thought it was going to be or hoped it was going to be or wished it was going to be, but it's actually pretty decent now. And I've, like, I've gotten to see people, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people as coaching clients and, and thousands of people through email. I've seen them start something and be in the middle point, and then I can figure out where they're going before they realize it, and then them getting there. Um, so it's, I used to have a huge need to see everyone and end up with a sort of like a successful marriage or situation. Yeah. Cause it's very, very invested in, in seeing how things work for people. Uh, and now, um, and of course they don't all work out. So if that's the, the measure of success, then that becomes pretty burdensome after a while. For me now, it's getting us to see people through the process where they sort of come on the door of like, oh, gosh, i got to change something, got to fix something. How they get to the end of that process, the end of that sort of epic journey. And I pretty much see my role now is just trying to make that journey go as quickly as it can, as smoothly as it can, as cheaply as it can with as little pain as possible. Because if you have, like I said earlier in this, this talk, people go on this three-year journey to find the relationship advice they need that's actually going to work. So if I can get that down to a year, that's a huge change for people. And that's really gratifying to see when it works mm-hmm. um, and, and people get to a better place. So yeah. that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm about. Yeah. Yeah. That's really... That's really nice because I think the thing is, is I think the the work that you do does make a big, big difference. And I think uh, knowing um, the sometimes you've taken a lot of flack for the uh, <laughs> the stance and the way in which you go about stuff, but then again, you know, I think that people people do appreciate it, and I and I I know that you get feedback from both. So both sexes around the difference that you've made. So, you know, the, the proof yeah. is in the pudding, isn't it? So, Well, and that's, I mean, I get flack from people, um, to be honest, far more, I get far more flack from men than for, from women. Um, I get flack because I don't care about anything other than making the relationship better the life better of the person that I'm dealing with. I really don't give a damn about the, the gender warfare stuff going on. I don't give a crap about a fight on Twitter. I, I just don't. I, I'm not going to argue with anyone in a comment section ever again. I'm not going to give credit to anyone that has a non-diplume that they're working under. I want to deal with people that have actual names and faces, as bizarre as that sounds. Um, I really just don't care about anything other than the person I'm dealing with and making their thing better. Mm. And I see an awful lot of, if you're shipping 
all of that stuff into your relationship. Your, your wife can never f- be good enough to fix all the problems of me too. Like if that's the thing that bugs the hell out of you, she can never be good enough. Um, so if you ship all the gender warfare into your own relationship, you, you're going to kill it. You're going to sour it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can, I can remember one time there was a guy there was a guy in England had done something horrible. And then I was talking to an American couple and the wife was all up in arms about it. And it's like the husband sitting next to her is getting the brunt for something some guy in England did. And it's like, this is just stupid. Like, <laughs> shut the internet off for a little bit. <laughs> the guy next to you didn't do it. Yeah. This is, you know, this is what I talked about before. Like, you know, it only takes one man or one woman in the world doing something horrible and millions of people get pissed off. Yeah. yeah. So there's always going to be drama. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And on that note, I'm going to le- leave you to get on your way, sir. But I thank you very much for uh, coming along here today, and I appreciate you uh, speaking to us and uh, and the value that you've given to the listeners. So thank you very much, Ethel. You are most welcome. So there you have it, the second in my two parts conversation with Ethel K around the issue of sex, intimacy and relationships. Now, you may have noticed that my conversation with Athol went on a bit longer than what I thought it would do. And the reason for that is because I know that in the last little while, Athol has reached a turning point after some years of uh, studying the subject of relationships and coaching a number of uh, couples, in fact, hundreds of couples and individuals through relationship difficulties. And he's come up with four common issues that make it more difficult to fix relationships than would be the case and covered in two of the main books that he's written on the subject. So those that's why we kind of went on a lot longer than I thought we would, because Athol has a bit to say on those particular issues, which we did go over in the in our conversation. Now, part one of our conversation last week was very much the backdrop to where we are today in terms of relationships as a whole and the practical steps you can take to rebalance your relationship using the methods from Athol's books. Part two this week's was more of an anthology of Athol's work to date and a focus on his thoughts as to dealing with red flags and how in some cases it may mean moving on from relationships and actually bringing the relationship to an end. The main takeaway from my conversation with Athol is that relationships change and I think the main reason for this is because much of what is done is on an unconscious level and when we get into relationships what that means is that a lot of what we're doing is just kind of something that is instinctual and something that we've maybe learned from parents or other relationships we've seen and as Athol said the sooner you can move things onto a more conscious level which practically doesn't always happen until you're maybe in your 40s and maybe been in relationship 10, 15, 20 years the better because what you're able to do is discuss things in your relationship in a kind of lot more level-headed way. Uh, you can take control of the things in your relationship and actually look for solutions to things that have occurred sometime before as opposed to actually just kind of plodding along, if you like, and hoping things will, things will get better. I think the issue for a lot of dads, as we uncovered in episode one, is that they get caught in the kind of ha- what we would call happy life a happy wife, happy life scenario, or Athol calls it 
he'd refer to it as the kind of yellow bear scenario where all the energy is directed towards men making their wives happy at the kind of behest of their own happiness which not only is exhausting but it also means that someone is kind of the someone else is the kind of center of your center of your world rather than actually you being able to cultivate a degree of individual individuality in your relationship so that's that's one of the key key things that I took from my conversation with Athol and I think the reality is that a lot of guys if they backed off and focused on themselves at the same time as rebalancing their relationship things would improve quite a lot in a lot of cases I think so if you want to check out uh, Athol find out a bit more about him you can find out about him on his websites which are marriedmansexlife.com and atholk.com athol is a-t-h-o-l-k is k-a-y um, he's also the two books we refer to in this conversation both last week and this week are the married man's sex life primer and also the mindful attraction plan your practical roadmap to creating the life love and success you want He's also on social media, on Facebook, which is at atholk.1, on Twitter, at atholk, and you can also find out uh, a bit more about what he's doing over on YouTube. He's putting a lot more into YouTube at the moment, so there's some really good resources over there if you want to check out what he's up to. If you want to hear more discussions just like this one today, the best way to do it is by subscribing on your podcast player of choice, be that iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you subscribe, then you will uh, get to find out the podcast episodes that are coming up each week. They'll just pop up on your podcast player of choice. So that is the best way to hear more discussions like the one today. You can drop us a rating and review. That would be very much appreciated. But the biggest compliment that you can give to me is by just sharing this episode out however you want to, whether that be on WhatsApp, Messenger or text. The more information that can be shared out, it's really important as some of the information can be truly life-changing for dads that you may know. So if you can do that, that would be really fantastic and I would really appreciate it. You can get involved with the discussion on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter using the handle at Guild of Dads and check out our Facebook group to join the Guild. If you like what you hear and you want to email me, I love to hear from listeners. So ping me an email, joe at guildofdads.com. Let me know what you like, what you don't like and who you would like me to interview even. I'd love to know. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about what we're doing at Guild of Dads, then head over to www.guildofdads.com and in the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning.